the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My oh. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. Oh, drives one. And we're back. The band is back together. It's the FSS Plus podcast. Jason Churchill with Joe Doyle. Casey Bellin behind the glass. It's been a little cold, the hot stove, gentlemen. Uh, but we're here anyway because you know there's some poor sap out there that's uh, that's paying us to be here. So here we are. <laughs> it's <laughs> award season, by the way, which is, you know, for me, not really the funnest time of year. Uh, I'm kind of a curmudgeon when it comes to things like the All-Star Game and, and award season. But the Cy Youngs were announced yesterday. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, let's kind of start there, Joe. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. We're going to get to the Angels offseason plan. Uh, they want to be aggressive. Does that make sense? What could that look like? We're going to dive into that. And is Shohei Otani's decision going to hold up the rest of the market or markets, trade and or free agency? We'll get to that as well. But Blake Snell is your National League Cy Young Award winner, and Garrett Cole is your American League Cy Young Award winner. And before we went live here, I was telling the fellas I would have voted for uh, Kevin Gossett in the American League and and maybe three other pitchers in the National League. So, uh, Joe, wh- where are you? Let's start in the National League because for me that's the biggest one. Like Garrett Cole, not an egregious choice, of course. Uh, and while I'm not calling the Blake Snell, no, I am. Uh, that was an egregious error on the uh uh on the part of of the writers and and the voters there didn't like that at all at best he would have been third for me uh zach wheeler spencer strider would have been the choice for me but uh with blake snell in the national league how did you feel about that choice it's his uh it's his second cy young award despite the fact no other year other than his two cy young years has he actually been really really good it's it's a fascinating when you look at his line, you look at his career, his seasons, uh, which is about seven seasons in now. What that looks like, it's either Cy Young or he's mediocre and hurt. Yeah, I I would have gone with Blake Snell. I mean, um, what did he what did he lead lead the NL by? Like an, a full run in ERA. His, yeah. I mean, he had like a two like two point two ERA. Yeah, but we're, we're t- um, I'm going to feel like Allen Iverson here, Joe. We're talking about ERA, man. Like we have well, at least three metrics that give us that paint us a better picture, individually and in combination. And here we well, are so talking, what are you talking about, about ERA. You know what I mean? Like I get it. Like like I'm not saying it's 100 meaningful, but we have a really good idea that xERA, that FIP and xFIP tell us that paint us a better picture of what happened with a pitcher on the mound than ERA. And he had a 225 ERA, and it, it did lead. It led all the Major League Baseball, I believe. Yeah, I mean, th- I think there's a number of different metrics you can look at. With Snell. like The guy had like 235 strikeouts in 180 innings. I mean, mm-hmm. he punched out everybody. He got out of trouble better than anyone. And, and FIP and XFIP are incredibly uh, penalizing as it pertains to walks. And he walked a ton of guys. I think he led the I think he led the league in walks again. He was the um, worst among qualified starting pitchers in walk rate. So I would go back to the days of Randy Johnson. I don't have the numbers pulled up, but that guy def- like redefined effectively wild. And I bet he I don't have it in front of me. I bet he was really high in terms of walk rate. And I think Dylan Cease a couple of years ago, maybe it was last year when he was a top 3 finalist. Um he had an incredibly high walk rate. So, so Randy Johnson, I actually did pull that up because that's that's the catch. That's the uh, that's the comp. Randy Johnson, after 1994, and he never won a Cy Young before that, but after 1994, never walked, never had a walk rate in double figures, never. Mm. And from 1998 through 2009. He never had one over eight and a half percent. He was uh, around league average, uh, a little bit better the rest of his career. So the thirteen percent walks. I mean, you know, and the thing about walks is like it's fine. The idea is not to give up runs, but what we're trying to decide here is who actually performed better, right? And and of that, we have 
information available to us to tell us, did the defense help you out more than this other pitcher's defense helped him out? Did your environment, your ballpark help you out more than this other pitcher's environment helped him out? Uh, and, and you look at things like, like Blake Snell's unsustainable, almost 87% left on base percentage that happens because he would walk a guy and then he would, you know, strike out two guys and get out of the jam and that's fine. And he performed well, but he also threw almost 40 innings fewer than Garrett Cole, the American league winner. Uh, he was almost 40 innings, fewer innings, uh, than, uh, than Logan Webb, who was a top five finisher in the national league. And those things matter. Like, I get it. Like, if you're telling me that Blake Snell's, like, all the other metrics backed up his 225 ERA, I mean, I think that would have been represented in some of the other numbers we use. You know, wins above replacement, again, it's it's very, you know, very generally speaking. But Blake Snell, with his 4.1 F4, ranked 14th, 14th in baseball among starting pitchers. I mean that's that's that's, like, that's pretty crazy, and and that a lot that's largely yeah. though because he only threw 180 innings, and everybody right. else threw 195, 205, 210. Those things have value. It's a counting stat, um, and, and we can't assume that he would have held his positive F WAR from innings 180 to 210. I think that's mm-hmm. fair, but I don't, I also don't think it's quite fair to penalize Blake Snell because he had Josh Hader behind him because he had weapons. Behind, like you look at the Giants and Logan Webb, like they had Camilo Duvall and nothing else in that bullpen. And so, you know, Logan Webb, who pounds the strike zone, no matter what this conversation says, he had he had no reinforcements to to, to close out a game behind him anyway. So, Strider a little bit of the same, although he did have some some bullpen help. I mean, I, I just think there's too many things that stack up in Blake Snell's favor, in, including the strikeout percentage, including the left on base percentage, the ERA, which was a full run better than most of the league, uh, 5.9 or 6 hits per nine or something like that. Like he wasn't allowing anybody on base. So, and I do know that he had, I think it was 12 scoreless starts, which was like a third of his starts. Nobody scored a run on him. Mm. Um, you could certainly make the argument that workhorses deserve to be more recognized because they, you know, shouldered a bigger load and, and gave their teams a better chance to win over a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Snell just ran away with it in so many categories that I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt on that one for, for, from this chair. He didn't even average six innings a start. You're telling me that that San Diego Padres bullpen is so good and so deep that they could just cover three and a third innings basically on average every time he rolls out there. And that's not actually on Snell. That's because the bullpen is so deep. Well, no, but I'm saying that they had the pieces. Listen, the the Padres and the Giants, neither one of those teams won very many games this year. They didn't win enough games. So it's not like we're talking about teams that had a, had an equation on how to shut the door. Um, But yeah, his his track record of dominance in those five and a thirds or or whatever he whatever he pitched was just so good. I would have voted for uh, Zach Wheeler. Uh, Strider would have been two, and I think Snell and Gallon would have kind of been three A and three B for me. And a big part of why Snell wasn't even top two for me is because his like three of his best 10 starts of the season came after that team was essentially eliminated, not officially, but when they were like, well, they're, they're pretty much toast. Um, so when you're looking for value and how much the performance actually meant, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not on snow again, not that it's like at, at the end of the day, I don't really care that much. Um, but this is the reason no. I don't care. It, it's because ERA won the day. Um, because we'll flip over to the, the American league. Now ERA won the day when it comes to, uh, uh, when it comes to the, uh, the, the Cy Young ERA and narrative won the day. And I hate that. I hate that we still in 2023 have a group of voters. First of all, it's not the right group of voters. I'm not saying writers shouldn't be the voters. I'm saying we still don't have the right group of writers who are going to consider everything. I've been reading all the write-ups. Here's why I voted for Blake Snell. Here's why I voted for Garrett Cole. They're garbage, man. They're mo- like 95% of them are garbage. It's all about wins and ERA and, and they're I not even go that far. They're yeah. not even they're not even 
they're not even talking about strikeout percentage. They're not even talking about left on base percentage. They're not even talking about ballpark environment, how much value he had to what his team did on the field and why they overlooked. They're just talking about, man, like when you have a 2.25 ERA, like, whoo boy, you know, like that's pretty much been it. Like, it, yeah, but the thing been, is with Snell, it was a, it was an entire run, but it's still ERA. That's the thing I'm stuck on. It's still ERA, you know, like we, 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 we know how this works. Like there are teams that there's a reason, Joe, and I think you'll agree with it. There's a reason that Blake Snell's not getting the biggest pitching contract on the free agent market. Even if we eliminate Yamamoto, there's a reason all these projections have Snell second or third. Cause behind, he was bad for five years. Behind Aaron Nola. <laughs> no, that bad ain't, for five that ain't it. That ain't it, because, hurt. that ain't it because Robbie Ray was the exact same guy and he got one of the two best in his market. That that so that that's not really it either. Look, look at Aaron, look at Aaron Nola. Didn't even have that great of a year, and everybody thinks. Well, let's see if it comes to fruition. He's getting more years and more money. Yeah, but Nola's been a, healthy. He's been reliable. He's been more consistent. Snell's been a Snell is largely a low three, high four in most years. Probably mm-hmm. fairly a low three in most years. And then, like you said, he's got a couple of you know number one ish seasons mm-hmm. Aaron Nola has been a, a strong two every year for his essentially his and, entire career I know he struggled his, a little bit and his year, trend but. is down yeah for sure man man yeah. I don't know what so what hey, wait, so I'm not I trying to hate Blake Snell he's actually from my from my neck of the woods you know he's from our neck of the woods I should say I'm not trying to hate on Blake Snell you know I saw him in high school uh, that was a lot of fun to see him him grow. It's it's more about the process and how we're still about wins and ERA and total number of strikeouts. Well, I want to go on the record and say like I did that. not say anything about wins. You <laughs> did uh, You did not. You did not. Uh, but that's. I want to hear voters AL. Are talking about that. Voters are absolutely talking about that. Yeah, I want to hear your AL. AL. Garrett, Cole. Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole wins it again. I have a huge problem with this. I really truly don't. Um, when I look at the the impact like because if you if, if you look at the total numbers the the standard stuff um the you know the advanced stuff you'll see there were probably three really really good candidates here garrett cole being one of them um the other two being sonny gray who had an amazing season uh at the right time too being a free agent and Kevin Gossman. And Kevin Gossman was the guy that I would have voted for, despite the fact that he pitched 24 fewer innings than Garrett Cole. Uh, and, and the biggest reason for for that, they were both, well, Gossman was a 5.3 F4 guy, Sonny Gray 5.3, Garrett Cole 5.2. That's essentially a wash. Anything within like two uh, tenths of a point there, I just ignore altogether. Um, Gossman, better strikeout rate. Uh, Gossman, pitched in games that mattered all season long that matters to me garrett cole just cruised and most of the month of september didn't freaking matter he could just go out there and relax there was no pressure on him whatsoever so i ding him for that a little bit at least relative to kevin goss but again i don't have a huge problem with garrett cole because it's so close if sonny gray would have wanted to be like oh okay interesting but garrett cole again this this is (laughs) this is the part i hate garrett cole Led the American League in guess what, Joe? ERA. We're still voting for guys that lead the league in ERA. That's see, that's that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest issue I have. We have better ways to evaluate how a pitcher performed. That's that's my. Thing. I mean, I guess that my my counterpoint would be, it's kind of the antithesis of what you were saying with Blake Snell. Like Garrett Cole led the American League in innings pitched too, and he mm-hmm. led the American League in. I think opponent batting average. Um, and I think he had a better whip than anyone. Um, so I like the, the, innings to- pitched, the innings pitch just kind of rolled into wins above replacement. So he pitched 25 right. innings more than Sonny Gray and 24 more innings than Kevin Gossman. Yet it didn't add any more value. You see what I'm I getting Like I, I get uh, it. I get put it. A ball on this one, you know, put a ball on this one. Um, I don't really have a problem with the Kevin Gossman idea. I, th- I think Kevin Gossman was certainly a um, worthy choice. I'm actually a little bit surprised he didn't take second, to be honest with you. Um, I thought he was going to be a Zach runaway. Zach Wheeler wasn't even in the second. top five in the National League, bro. 
Yeah, yeah. No, it was. A, you know, it was kind of nice that it was such a it was such a close year. There wasn't a runaway, even though the national narrative seemed to point to there just being a runaway with Snell and Cole. I, I thought it should have been a lot closer than it actually was. But I will say this in defense of, of Garrett Cole. Uh, I do think Gosman's numbers were a little bit better in a number of different areas, but with with Garrett, it's like, man, you got a pitch in Yankee Stadium with that short porch. Like, there's not a lot of statistics that in, in pitching that will uh, weigh that uh, that short porch. Now there are obviously ballpark factor mm-hmm. um, statistics that you can use, but in terms of the the voting records. Uh, the voting statistics, there's not a lot that give you credence, give you credit for that. So because he had to pitch in Yankee Stadium, I, I do give him a little bit of a, uh, a, a bit of a head start, I guess. Um, so I don't have a problem with that. I think for me, I thought the right people were selected. It looks like the three-year rolling, you mentioned ballpark factors, has um, Rogers Center and Yankee Stadium essentially the same. In the last three years, the park factors ninety eight on Yankee Stadium and hundred on the Blue Jays. I don't know these are perfect. That's just because the Yankees numbers. can't score any runs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so it's also, basically I was, the same. Yeah. I was dead serious about that. The Yankees haven't scored runs in two years. It's probably what's killing the ballpark. Yeah, I'm gonna say no. I don't think that's what's killing the ballpark. No, um, I'm a data analyst, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you should send some of that data over because I'm guessing it comes with some whiskey or something. No, I'm I'm assuming uh, like not to get into the weeds, but I'm assuming ballpark yeah, factors too? are. Sweet. Yeah, I'm assuming it's heavily weighted ex woba, which is contact quality, and so despite how bad the Yankees have been, they're not impacting their ballpark factors. Yeah, let's see. Um, Last three years, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy too, so I got it. The last three years, um, in the American League, the Yankees and the Blues, they obviously play in the same division, so you can draw some some parallels there. Um, Toronto over that three year period is fifth in the league themselves at scoring runs, and the Yankees are thirteenth. So there is a little bit of a thing there which suggests the difference that you're talking about. So it's basically the same. It's basically why. But again, I didn't have a huge issue with Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole should have won a couple of years ago his final year in Houston over Justin Verlander anyway. So yep. it was kind of justice um, here. He was, what was that, 2019, I think it was? He was a seven-and-a-half win pitcher. And That's crazy. We just don't see that anymore with guys. No, you only... hardly see six win pitchers. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. And then that same year, Verlander was a 6.4 win pitcher, a difference of 1.1. Now, again, war is not the end all, but when there's more than a one full win difference, it's pretty freaking significant. But we, we go, yeah, we go back to Justin Verlander's ERA was 2.58 that year, um, which was essentially the same as uh as Garrett Cole's that year but the narrative started on Justin Verlander in August is he going to win another Cy Young <laughs> and it keeps happening so anyway i just don't love award season essentially and uh um and i thought the the difference in the national league between Blake Snell and where i thought he should have finished was uh was pretty uh indicative of something like that so mvp coming out a little later in the week um Actually, as we record this, uh, MVPs are coming out easy in the American League, Joe, with uh, Shohei Otani winning that. Uh, I thought entering September, there was a chance a couple other guys could make it interesting, but none of those players really did much in September. One of them was Julio Rodriguez, who was red hot entering the month, and then uh, his team and uh, and uh, himself as a player just didn't have the month he needed to uh, to be any kind of a threat. So I'm assuming Otani is the easy choice there. Who's your National League MVP? And then, and then we'll move on to the uh, to the Angels and their offseason plans because this is not an easy one, and I'm not sure you can go wrong with the top few candidates here. Uh, just because it's the first time I've ever seen something so absurd, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Ronald Acuna Jr. I mean, forty seventy. It's yeah. just something that it's almost like when when Miguel Cabrera won the triple crown, d- despite Mike Trout having way better numbers. Right. Um, you just give it to the guy that did something absurd. And so mm. I would go with Acuna. Um, you know, he had a 170 WRC plus, you know, mm. 416 on base and an OPS over a thousand for a guy that could, if needed to 
play center field. I know he was put in right field because Michael Harris is really good out there, but I just think it's – the numbers make a, a compelling case for Betts and, and Freeman, but for me it's Acuna by a by a considerable margin. Me too, despite the fact they're both 8.3 F4 players. I just yeah. – I generally, you know, just like – it. Like I'm not sure if – like if you vote for Betts, I'm not going to argue with you. Um, Freeman is a little different. I, I think when you play the outfield, even if you're not in center – um, and Mookie Betts moved around too. I think that's going to get attention. He played some second base and and played. I think he played shortstop a little bit too. Uh, the guy is a ridiculous athlete. But Acuna going forty seventy and hitting three thirty seven. He leads yeah. in all the standard triple slash uh, over Betts. Thirty points in batting average, eight points in OBP, and seventeen points in slug, and has a, a slight advantage if you like things like uh, like WRC plus. But uh, he's also a very good base runner. Um, defensive value wise, he's not going to be there because of what Betts did, uh, all over the field and around the infield, but still, um, yeah, that was, uh, what a huge season when it's not that often, Joe, we see guys hit 40 home runs period, but when they do, it's generally a guy that also strikes out 25 or 30% of the time. Ronald Acuna Jr. Struck out 11.4% of the time. He, he walked 11% of the time. Like that is a crazy, you know, borderline historic season that we did it is historic him. no it, it's how many guys crazy. were in the 40 40 club four yeah like what jose canseco barry bond rod alex Bonds, rodriguez Soriano. Soriano, Soriano. Right. Yep, yep i think that's it. it and yep. acuna nope. joins nobody, it and then nobody, and then he grabs nobody 30 more bats <laughs> it's crazy absolutely it's crazy, crazy. Uh, two years off of acl off the acl thing too yeah, yeah. That's pretty nice. I, I would go Acuna too. I wouldn't hate, you know, Betts winning it, but I, I'd like to see Acuna get it. I think um, he's one of those younger players that can maybe carry the torch a little bit for the league. Although Mookie Betts is so uh, underappreciated, I, I think around baseball, um, he's becoming a he's becoming less likable, isn't he? The Trevor Bauer comments did not help. <laughs> I thought those were almost like a PR tongue in cheek thing, but I could be wrong yeah, on that. They don't help, but. Um, I'm not going to judge a guy on one set of comments. So, um, so yeah, that's interesting. We got we got Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson winning Rookie of the Year. I, I hate Manager of the Year, so I absolutely refuse to talk about it. There's absolutely no way that award should exist. Um, let's do something else. Um, gold gloves, don't care. Um, let's do something else. Um, you want to have? Uh, uh, you want to add Boy, more really, really quick? Yeah, really quick. The gold glove turning into a state run award just makes it. All the worse, all the worse. What do you What do you mean? Well, it's just that they just handed it to whoever led the league in OAA, which is a MLB created statistic. It's not something that is, you know, it's not DRS, it's not UZR, it's not like a Statcast thing. Yeah, yeah, they're using Statcast proprietary statistics, and it was like ninety one percent of the OAA. I I that number may be wrong, but it was something like ninety percent of the players that led their finalists group in OAA won the gold glove. And I was like, that, that's just state run stuff. Yeah. I don't, like, OAA. I don't like using one metric for anything. And, and I don't like using fielding metrics at all, to be honest with you. I'm with you. I was just going to say that I'm, I'm not a big, even over a two year period, if you can give me three years, then I'll consider the value of them. But you know, you look at a guy like, Dansby Swanson this year had a had a 20 outs above average mark, which is absurd and ridiculously good. And we the thing is, though, we know Dansby Swanson is really good at defense because this is what he does like the last three years. Like we know he's good there. We see it with our eyes. Uh, it's backed up by DRS. It's backed up by UZR. Um, like we know he's good. But there are some in here, and this is kind of what you're alluding to, where that number doesn't look as good. When you include all those other numbers, that OAA number that, you know, for example, um, uh, we go and we look at Bryson Stott and Philadelphia at second base. Uh, the OAA has him elite at second base. The DR, the DRS and the UZR, UZR 150, things like that, not so much. Like he's, he's, he's closer to average in DRS. He's closer to average in UZR. But the OAA says he's elite. So he gets that kind of attention. So I'm with you there. Like, let's maybe not do that. And let's not even talk about it anymore. Um, I do like the idea that they have a, uh, 
like a best defensive player in each league kind of a thing. I do like that. I just, you know, I'm with you. I don't, I don't like the way they go about doing it. All right, let's talk about the Angels. Uh, it came out this week. I believe it was Wednesday of this week that the, uh, as as we're talking about Otani and Acuna winning the MVP and, and that we agree with those choices, um, a lot of folks out there in, in the Anaheim area are like, sweet. Um, the Angels are going to go for it. They're, they're going to be, they're not going to rebuild e- even if they lose Shohei Otani. They have Mike Trout. They have uh, uh, Anthony Rendon who gets on the field about four games a year. Um, they're going to try to build this up. And that's general manager Perry Manassian saying, yeah, we're not in rebuild mode. We're in retool mode and we're going to try to win. The, the question here, I think, Joe, is what's the upside of that approach for that roster right now? The, the farm system has, has produced a couple of guys so far. They get Zach Neto, the shortstop. They get their first baseman out of it. I don't know what they're going to get production-wise, but I think they can pretty much ignore those two spots on the roster in terms of trying to go out and find upgrades. But this team does not seem close at all to even being an 88-90 to 90 win club on paper. And when you fold into that Rendon's injury history and hardly being available the last couple of years, the fact that he's well into his 30s now, the same thing with Mike Trout, that's a that's a tough one for me. And I'm not saying they should rebuild, but it's a tough one for me to, to kind of buy into, can the, can the Angels spend their way, trade their way into being legitimate American League West contenders and, and contenders in the American League for 2024? Am I off my rocker here? But it, that's hard to see for me. And I actually well, like Perry Manassian too. I, I really do. I mean, I look at it like this. In order to survive the dog days you you have to have reinforcements you gotta have backups you gotta have a farm you gotta have you know something in your back pocket to i'll put it this way you have to have 45 to 50 big league players floating around your organization that you can utilize and right now they don't i mean i look at that organization and first of all there is nothing on the farm i mean i uh i put this in my farm report at the end of the season for future stars it is the worst farm i've ever seen in my seven years (laughs) six or seven years of of critiquing these sorts of things it's the worst farm system state like state that i've ever seen Mm -hmm. so they're not going to be able to pull anything out of the farm system this next year right um and then you know i think a lot has been made of ohapi and and neto and shanuel and I think they're good players. I don't nice think players. Yeah. I, they are. I don't think they move the needle. Like I look at Shanuel and I say, I have a hard time seeing a path to anything more than two and a half wins from yeah. that player. Yeah. Um, Ohapi, I could see like a three and a half, four win catcher. He's a good player if he stays mm-hmm. on the field. And then Neto, you know, I, I think the, the jury is still out on what his game power is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still a lot think of Jeremy Pena in that. There's a lot of Jeremy. They're different players, but there's a lot of Jeremy Pena in that. We've seen what's happened with him a little up and down over the last couple of years in Houston. Yeah, I think Neto's a better hitter than uh, Pena, but Pena's got such a such an advantage in the physical frame. He's going to get to power a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I don't think Neto's going to be better than a three and a half win player next year, and which is a good player. But I think a lot of that's going to be buoyed by his glove. So, um, that's three solid roll four and a half roll five type players but there's next to nothing else um and there's nothing on and there's nothing on the mound that should excite you i like patrick sandoval he's a good mid-rotation innings guy uh what else do they have like i'm a big reed detmers fan but that's more from the angle of I think if the right people get a hold of Reed Detmers, he's significantly better than he's been. We've seen him throw 95. We know he has the big curveball. The slider's developing and he likes it. He's into pitch development. He works. He's a good athlete. Like that, it's more from a you can get more out of him standpoint. Like, what do they have? Griffin Canning, Chase Silseth? Like, what are we doing That's on the right. mound? And, yeah. and like they should be so all over every single decent starting pitcher on the free agent Marcus Knife. They need three guys. They need Aaron Nola, Blake Snell, and Jordan Montgomery to convince me they can win 90 games next year. I that that's hard to see. That's they do have see. some interesting pieces in the bullpen. I think Sam Bachman and Ben Joyce could be um, mm-hmm. interesting guys at the end of the at the end of the bullpen. I, I think Chase Silseth should be in the bullpen as well, but I don't think he's going to end up being there. Mm-hmm. Tyler Anderson certainly had a had a rough year for a guy that you paid 
what'd they give him two years, 30 million. I mean, they, they overpaid to give him some security, but um, what happened to Joe Adele? Like for a team that was so bad for the last two months of the season, why was he not given another cup of coffee? He wasn't moved. He wasn't provided a cup of Kieran Paris and Joe Adams both got time. Right. Joe Adele, we didn't see Joe Adele at all. But yeah, Casey, three years, essentially three years, 40 mil, three years, $39 million. So they're stuck with Tyler Anderson for the next three years as a serviceable five. Yeah, two more at $26 million. Two, Yeah, that two more. Yeah. That's, I mean, where are you going to get your runs? I think for the Angels to be competitive, you got to think Anthony Rendon has to reclaim a four and a half win guy. You got to find it. And Mike Trout, you kind of have to bank on him staying healthy and becoming that eight-win player that that you think he is. Right. I don't see it, man. I don't see any course of action for them to be a serviceable contender on July 1st. I don't see it. Let's go high side. Let's go high side. Okay, let's assume Otani's gone. I think a lot of people are assuming Otani's gone. I, I think we're going to hear the Angels in the in the mix because Otani's not going to shut it down. The agent's not going to shut it down because it helps them. I don't think they're in it. I think he's so gone. It's not even funny. By the way, Joe Adele did get uh, two weeks worth of starts to end the to end the season, and uh, and hit two hundred um, with a couple of home runs. So he did get a little run at the end of the season, Man. but uh, but only had sixty two plate appearances all year. So anyway, like the what's the the very best off season the Angels could have just in terms of adding. Uh, runs and run prevention to their big league roster. Screw everything else. Forget it. What is that? Signing Yamamoto, signing, uh, you know, uh, maybe somebody like Sonny Gray, um, trading or signing, you know, a guy like uh, you add a Jorge Soler or a Reese Hoskins to, to play the D8 spot, maybe help in a corner. And maybe you, maybe you're the team that picks up uh, one of the the Rays' good hitters. Maybe Randy Rosarina goes to the to the Angels this offseason. Like, how good of a team is that? Like, it's better. It's significantly better. Does that team win ninety three plus games? I mean, I, that, that's such an that's such a galaxy brained idea for right? for those players to get to Los Angeles. O- Otani going back to. The Angels is I give it a one percent chance. Sure, sure. And but what even, and the things that you're that, suggesting. Though, but even with that though, my point is, even if you add like this incredible off season, because that would be yeah. a, that would be a great off season from a we need to make the major league club more viable, better with impact on the mound in the lineup. However, we have to do it, trade free and see whatever. That's all I'm trying to do there. Even even that. I don't know. Like, yeah, gonna, I mean, if you tell me Mike Trout's healthy for 145 games, including in the entire month of September, if you tell me, you know, Rendon's going to give me 120 games, including the entire month of September, I'm going to say, okay, okay. 95 yeah, wins is at least on the table, but mm-hmm. that seems to be the absolute ceiling with very little chance they actually get there. Even if we don't also, include it, what you're the point you're making, how did, how did they get all those players? How do those players get to a point where they want to go to it's a $275 million payroll that you just brought up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Artie Moreno is trying to, or he was trying to sell the team. I, I don't see him going over the uh, CBT and getting taxed for a terrible team. Like at the end of the day, Artie Moreno is a businessman through and through. And I, I just can't see him paying an overage charge. So the team can have Aaron loop run it back and Reese Hoskins, um, you know, like it just wow. the, like, there's no path without Otani. And I think if Otani comes back and Rondon and Trout are both healthy, I think there's a, I think there's an offensive path to 92 wins, but um, without Otani, without Otani, I don't think they're going to spend the money necessary to be a contender. And I think uh, on the high side, it's an 84 win team after a, just a, just a, that uh, 84 wins would include Mike Trout being just bludgeoning the league. I think back to his like MVP level play. Yeah. It's a, it's a nine win season and, and Rendon is healthy. Like that's hard to buy. That's hard to buy. The angels were 73 and 89 in 2023, by the way, they spent their, uh, their tax number, their 40 man collective bargaining uh, or uh, their, their competitive balance um, tax number in 2023 was 238 million dollars at the end of the day so it's a little over that first threshold but you're right every other year you go back to 2022 they were under 200 million in tax uh, on the luxury tax 
2021 under 200, 2022 under 185. So it's not the norm, despite the fact that they've signed guys to big contracts over the years to be over the tax number. Very interesting thought there, especially if uh, Moreno changes his mind and puts the team back out on the market. Um, do you want to have not only Rendon and Trout, do you want to have like four other big giant numbers on your payroll if you're trying to do that? I mean, the Nationals me got me out from under some of that stuff for that reason, Joe. Right. I want to ask you a question. Um, so 233 or 237, whatever you said, uh, with Otani on the books, uh, Perry Manazian coming out saying we're going to be aggressive this offseason. Artie Moreno kind of supporting that notion. When Shohei Otani comes off the board, how quickly does that PR flip the switch? Because when Otani goes, I think they're just positioning themselves to make Otani the most comfortable suitor they can. Like, hey, we're still going for it. Come back, we're still going for it. They lose Otani. I don't know who in their right mind would start spending. That team needs, and I don't, that team needs 12 players to be a contender in the AL without Shohei Otani. There's just no path. Here's what's crazy about what you just said. The crazy, the, the, because it's pure crazy. It's not wrong. And that's the crazy part. The yeah. crazy thing about what you just said is is not crazy. They are that many players away. I mean, five of major impact, maybe eight of major impact. Obviously, healthy, reliable, bring up the floor, bring up the ceiling types. I'm checking out their payroll right now. So um, they have about $120 million committed um, but that's to seven players right now. And that includes, um, you know, Anthony Rendon at about 39 million, Mike Trout at about 37, uh, Tyler Anderson at 13, the eight and a half, they owe, they owe a uh, branded Drury and a couple other smaller deals. Um, I mean, they're still paying David Fletcher crying out loud. Um, this is not a well-built organization and, and it's not Perry Manassian's fault. I'm not saying he's done a great job, but I think he's done a pretty decent job in the couple of years that he's been there. And that's a tall task. It's a tall task. What would you do? Because I'm sitting here thinking maybe, maybe making a bunch of moves that point toward 2024 with significant assets. And since you mentioned the farm, probably not where they're going to be able to make these moves. Maybe it's free agency. Maybe they do a giant sort of thing where you sign a couple of one, two, three-year deals for your pitching staff. Maybe you find one impact guy you want to keep around for five, six, seven years um, and maybe do it that way. Maybe this is incremental and it points more toward 2025 or 2026, but gives you a chance in 2024 with that asterisk. If Rendon can give us 500 plate appearances, if Trout can give us 500 plate appearances, Maybe that's the approach because it does seem like kind of sort of going all out. I don't mean all in, like spend $250 million on payroll, but just I think there's probably middle ground here because rebuilding right now, I mean, how are you going to move Anthony Rendon's contract, Joe? Like how is that? that that's not happening, right? No, I, you would have to, what's owed? Five, it's like five years, 200 million or something is left. They owe him $4 billion. No, they owe him, <laughs> they owe him, Thirty-eight and a half million dollars for three more seasons. It's only three, right? Through twenty twenty-six. Wow, it's not as bad as I. Wait, was no, that's saying. not true. That that's not true, is it? No, it is. Yep, he's he's a free agent after the twenty twenty-six season. They owe Trout six billion dollars. They owe him thirty-seven million for even longer. Like that, Jason, that you know what I would longer. do? I would do what the Seattle Mariners did for five years. I would add mm -hmm. a bunch of very interesting semi-affordable relievers and some back-end lottery ticket starting pitchers, Michael mm -hmm. Walker types, Seth Lugo types, Jacob Junis types. I would I would sign a bunch of three to six million dollar guys and hope to high heavens <laughs> that on July 31st, the phones are ringing because yeah. I think yeah. you kind of got to it, it's what these teams that get stuck in the middle fail to do. They don't they don't build from the bottom up and if you're not building from the bottom up it's not what the team looks like on opening day there are so many teams that look so good on opening day but it is on may 31st when kieran paris is playing second base and jordan adams is your center fielder and um some kid that was in high a is your fourth starter like 
And, and who knows? You know, maybe they'll call up Chooch to to be their catcher when Logan Ohapi hurts his shoulder again. It's when it's when you get into those parts of the season where your organizational depth is tested, and that is why some of the best teams in the league, the Dodgers, the Rays, the Orioles, these teams that win 105 games. That's no secret that they have tremendous farm systems that can sustain these losses. So, um, unfortunately, I I truly do not see a path to this team winning before 2026 or probably 2027 once they get out from from Rendon. Um, yeah, and with rough. Mike Trout being 32 years old, I just I I have a hard time wondering whether or not they're ever going to be able to give him a playoff team. Man, that's just sad. That is just it is. That is just sad. That is really sad. One of the greatest players, maybe the best player um, we've ever seen over a long period of time. That maybe Otani puts himself in that conversation with uh, with more time under his belt, more service time. But Trout has been unbelievable since he broke in. Uh, what around t- uh, 10, 11 years ago? Uh, MVPs galore, ten win seasons. I mean, we just haven't seen a whole lot of uh, um, play like that. And and at one point, he was actually a good center fielder as well. That Angels team. Uh, so you, you've been talking about depth and being able to cover when things go wrong. And, and it's not just injury, but sometimes guys don't perform the way you want to. And, you know, sometimes you get to a point where other teams pass you because they have better luck or uh, it just so happened that their farm system, that their top guys in the farm system developed a little faster than yours and actually got to the big leagues and helped. But the narrative around the Texas Rangers right now is so off the rocker that they – they spent a bunch of money, therefore they won a title. Like for every Texas Rangers situation, we can talk about a San Diego Padres and a New York Mets situation. It is the Texas Rangers did not win that World Series because, well, they spent a bunch of money. They won that World Series because they spent that money well enough. I don't even want to say well because the DeGrom thing didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But they spent it well enough and had some of those factors you were talking about, Joe, they're backed up by having zero to threes on their roster, guys that aren't making a lot of money. Adelis Garcia, uh, Leody Tavares, Jonah Heim, one of the most underrated players in Major League Baseball, Nathaniel Lowe, Josh Young was a, a Rookie of the Year candidate. Evan Carter came up late in the season and performed really well for them. That's the reason why those why the spending worked for the Rangers because they didn't have to spend at 14 spots on the roster. They could focus that on like six or eight, and they had some semblance of a foundation. Man, that is the opposite of what's going on in Anaheim right now with the Angels. I, I've been giving in my my uh, my free agent rankings, um, I gave Hunter Renfro uh, like a, <laughs> I don't know what to call it, like a, like a free agent discount. Like I actually gave him credit for things he didn't do in 2023 because he was in Anaheim. <laughs> like it's like, well, he was in Anaheim. So do I really want to hold this against him? Like it's like Hunter Rimpel is not a great player, but he, he's not even that old. He's 32 years old and he was a shell of himself in 2023 and players in those situations and rosters like that, man, it just, they go to, they go to die and that's where careers just start to, uh, start to tail off. And hopefully Renfro goes somewhere this year where, uh, where uh, he can figure some things out and earn himself a bigger payday next winter. But man, that Anaheim team and the American League West not going anywhere either. Texas Rangers aren't going to be terrible in 2024. They didn't sell out for 2023. Uh, the Houston Astros, they're probably going to take a step back. We'll see what they do this winter, but they're not going to be bad next year. The, the Mariners are still trending up to some degree. I don't know if you're the angels. Did you just hope for relegation to become part of, of what, you know, like let's go <laughs> win a trip. For- Let's I go think you'll for Danny Ohio. Glover. You know? <laughs> for Danny Glover at this point. <laughs> oh boy! You want to know uh, something funny? Uh, you gave a lot of credit to the Texas Rangers there, and I, you know about them buying a buying a World Series. Um, on my podcast on Overslot, I redrafted the 2020 draft today. Uh, I did a 50 picks. Well, I did. I, I published 30, um, but I did 50 picks. Who are the top 50 players from the 2020 draft? Okay, four, four. Of the Texas Rangers top only five, four of their five picks were top 50 players for me wow, going forward. Yeah. One of the few teams that just happened to have a good draft. They nailed it. Year. They nailed yeah. it. The Cardinals and the Rangers nailed it. And I think, you know, what's 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 fascinating about the Rangers is they've missed, you know, 2021 with, with Jack Leiter, 
They yeah. missed, but on so many other occasions, they've hit. They've really developed a lot of these players well. Um, so, and they've taken some reclamation projects and turned them into stars. So, uh, I think was, the Rangers are going to be here for a long time. That was the draft where they got Foscu and uh, Carter, Roby, Tako Roby, Evan Carter. That's right. Um, was yeah. he second rounder? I think Carter was a second rounder. Carter was yeah, pick fifty. Um, yeah, and then they and then they got an arm. Um, they got another arm in that draft after Roby. Um, yeah, they got yeah, Dylan McLean, uh, Mick Abel's old. There you uh, go. Yeah, teammate. yeah. There you go. That's the guy um, from uh, from Oregon. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I don't think the Rangers are going anywhere anytime soon. I don't know that it's this long, like eight-year window or anything. But the next couple of years, while while Marcus Simeon is still at least good, and Corey Seager is still in his prime. I mean, Corey Seager is a guy that was the one signing in Texas where I was like, well, I mean, to get a chance to give a guy like that three million dollars, he's going to hit. I'm not worried about his shortstop defense either. People are like, oh, he might not be able to stick it. So. Then, then you throw him at third base and he hits 320 with 35 home. So what? He's still a six-win player. Yeah, he plays short for as long as possible. He's not terrible at short. He just doesn't have a ton of range. He's more like a Cal Ripken sort of defender at short. Oh. He's just in the right place, doesn't make a lot of doesn't make a lot of mistakes and and rakes, you know. Um Corey Seager, the player, is a terrific player, and he was an MVP candidate this year, despite he's the a fact Hall of that Famer. He, but he missed a month and a half. Yeah, he's on, on track to make the Hall of Fame. It's crazy. Uh, Marcus Simeon's still a good player. I mean, he's a little older. What he's 30, 32, 33 now. So maybe at some point he falls from the, the four, five, six win range down to the three, three and a half win range. But you're going to be okay because of the Evan Carters of the world, because Justin Foskey was in that system, because uh, Jonah Heim is still there. I'm curious to see what the Rangers do, but they're, yeah, they're not going away. Uh, I do worry about the, uh, the Astros for Astros fans out there um, about the direction they're headed. Uh, new manager, uh, new uh, new front office last year, and Dana Brown. I don't know where that's going to go, but uh, uh, the Angels are in for it. Their work is cut out for them. Um, if the the Oakland A's, soon to be Las Vegas A's, weren't in that division, man, I mean, I'm not sure if you put the Angels in the Central that they're not the worst team in the Central. I'm not sure about that because of all the extreme issues they had they've had with injuries. So. Yeah, definitely with you there. Um, Perry Manassian is going to earn his money, man. I uh, I feel bad for him. I because I, I you can't help but think he is taking instruction from Artie Moreno. To some, some level, of, yes. To some yeah. level, yes. Yeah. But there have been some good things happen there over the last couple of years. That farm system, like we're seeing guys develop a little bit in that system that weren't developing before he got there and the changes Ooh, that he made. Like what? We're starting to see some guys get through the get up through the they actually traded a couple of them. Um Kyron Paris was one of the worst Jordan Adams, they were two of the worst prospects performing wise before Perry Manassian got there. They mm-hmm. couldn't do Jack. I, I I saw both of them uh when they were in the the uh down in A ball. They couldn't hit a lick. They couldn't do anything right. 19, 20, 21 years old, couldn't do anything. Shortstop, center field, they just couldn't hit. Manassian comes, makes some changes. Those guys started who was the pitcher they traded? Uh Bush couldn't find a strike zone, couldn't throw a breaking ball. And all of a sudden, mm, things start Kai. to turn around. He starts to develop. Yeah, Kai Bush. So some things starting to go. And then they, you know, I'm not saying they've had great or even good drafts, but getting Neto to the big leagues and him performing enough to stay there. Uh, Shanuel, I think, was a, I don't know, get him to the big leagues as fast as possible move. Don't really love it. But from a development standpoint, they're identifying guys that can help them sooner. I think there's some good things going there. Just there's not of impact yet. But I do think he's done some good things that are going to help that organization long term. Hopefully, he gets the opportunity to do that for for his sake because uh, I do yeah. think he's done a pretty decent job there. Yeah, you're right though. He was. It was certainly on like their trade deadline was disastrous at the end of the day. But I get it. They're trying to win while they had Shohei Otani. I get it. When all the Lopez, Lucas Giolito, all the stuff they did. But yeah, that, that's my issue with the sh- really quickly. My issue with the Shanuel pick is that. 2023 draft was in it's at the top of the pyramid in the last 10 years in terms of drafts i mean they skipped over a lot of potential five win players tommy Um, troy matt shaw kyle teal uh rice eldridge uh, colt emerson uh, brayden taylor yeah yeah these are all guys these are all guys that could be four or five win players 
and we've already discussed Nolan Shanuel is in the big leagues. And not only that, he's pretty damn good. But also, you and I both recognize we've done this long enough. That's a two and a half win player. Mm-hmm. There's just no, he doesn't run. He doesn't hit for power. He doesn't field. He's already playing first base. Like, it's just, it's one tool. And I don't know why you take that in such a deep draft at pick 12. It's really weird. It, it's very, very, very strange. Uh, they they took a bunch of college guys with low to, to medium ceilings. And I didn't let, they didn't have a second, I don't think, in the 2023 draft. So it was Shanuel. Then in the third, they took the Stanford outfielder, Rios, uh, Alberto Rios. Um, yeah, I don't like that draft. So, that, you know, like we'll, we'll see if that changes a little bit now. Uh, if Otani bolts and they try to get younger and try to go for more impact, because things do change. You look back on, Seattle's approach, and they did a better job of it, I think, than early Manassian days in Anaheim. Taking, uh, they got Kyle Lewis in the first draft with uh, Jerry Depoto at the helm, and then after that, it was Logan Gilbert and George Kirby in the first round. And they've done a better job of identifying what they need, and those guys have bigger, uh, higher ceilings. But it has changed the last couple of years, and I just wonder if at some point Manassian is not allowed to go ahead and just take some high ceiling guys that don't necessarily get to the big leagues inside of two years. But uh, yeah, that's where I think the meddling of the owner comes into comes into play. There, he's uh, he certainly got his work cut out for him. We'll see. Uh, the NIM Angels. Shohei. Speaking of the Angels, Shohei Otani. He's not going back. He's not going back. But I think the question here is that at least the question that I'm getting quite a bit here, Joe, is: Are we going to be sitting around? until Shohei Otani signs for even the Bellingers and the Matt Chapmans to sign. Um, are we going to be sitting around, sitting around and waiting? Um, and my theory, and t- tell me if you agree with this or not, or, you know, my theory is not really. Uh, be, and the reason is I think there are maybe like six or eight teams that are kind of in this, you know, right. And I think the teams that aren't in this at all know for fact, they're not in it. So I don't think they're sitting around and 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 really waiting. I think if something holds this up, it might be the agents for those other players waiting for Otani to sign and kind of set the market. Otani gets $50 million a year. Maybe Bellinger's like, cool, I want 34 instead of 26 or whatever. But otherwise, no, I, I don't really, I don't really see it. I, I see I see the Mets, I see the Red Sox, I see the Cubs, I see the Rangers, the Giants, the Mariners, the Dodgers as the teams with some sort of a non-zero chance to be involved in this for a little while. Other than that, the rest of the league can just conduct business. Am, am, am I crazy here? I just don't see Cody Bellinger's market being held up by Shohei Otani. It's just, Otani's just a completely different animal for everybody. Yeah, I think if you're a big league organization that is prepared to spend $55 million a year on one player for your payroll, you're probably the type of organization that is prepared to spend $80 million on your payroll this offseason anyways. So uh, you're probably having those same conversations um, Mm -hmm. anyways. But uh, I I will say this. I don't think it's going to matter, Jason. I I think... Shohei Otani is going to sign before Christmas. Like, I think he's a, you know, December 15th type of guy. Like, I'd be really surprised if the overtures for Shohei Otani weren't happening, at least to to his agent in late August and September and kind of growing familiar. Hell, half of the teams that are in on this um, already worked with his agent uh, five or six years ago. So right. the familiarity is there. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I think Otani's not a guy that is necessarily money driven from from everything that i can tell and i would be surprised if if any team um is unwilling to just throw the book of opt-outs and um, opt-ins and and performance bonuses like he's a name name your price kind of guy if you're interested like i've never i mean i kind of understand that the mutual option uh or excuse me the the player option downside but at the end of the day, it's like, man, if, if Shohei Otani comes to Chicago and he has an opt out after year one um, mm-hmm. and he's making 55 million and year two, he's going to make 55 million. Either he earned his 55 million dollar contract and thinks he'll make more in 2025 and he'll opt out or you get Shohei Otani again for 55 right. million dollars. So right. there's no I, downside. I think it's be cut and dry. Yeah. No, like yeah. Otani's yeah. going to talk to the teams that he wants to talk to that he's interested in and so long as they meet his demands in terms of flexibility and willingness to win and spend, I, I just don't think this is going to last long. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I think uh, the week after the winter meetings uh, in mm-hmm. in December, I think that's probably when the decision's made. Uh, I can't see it being before that, but we're going to start hearing buzz here pretty quickly. And we're already starting to hear some things. I think Jeff Passon's out there talking about uh, teams that Otani is is considering. It does seem like there's six to eight teams that are legitimately uh, in the circle. I, I still think it's the Dodgers. I think it's about the week after the winter meetings, maybe even the week of the winter meetings. So it, let's ignore Otani. He's a very special case. Is there a free agent out there that should probably be aggressive on his market uh, a little earlier than than the rest? And, and the reason I say that is because the trade market impacts the free agent market. The free agent market impacts the trade market. and if teams don't like the early number on, I'll use Matt Chapman as an example. Let's say Matt Chapman and his agent have this idea that he can get six years and $170 million or something Dansby Swanson like. Okay. Now, to me, that's a little crazy, but let's say that's where their aspirations are. And teams hear that and they're like, okay, so we're out on Chapman because we don't like that at all. It's it's not just it's not a Corey Seager situation. There, there's a lot of reasons not to want to pay that to uh, to Matt Chapman. So we're going to go out on the on, on the trade market now, and we're going to start talking to Tampa because we're looking for a corner infield bat. We're going to start talking to we're going to call San Diego. Are they willing to move Manny Machado? We're going to call every we're we're, we're going to find our corner infield. We're going to find our third base bat somewhere else. Now, all of a sudden, when that starts happening with multiple teams, Matt Chapman's number, because his leverage is down, at least by one or two or three teams, right? Theoretically speaking. Now, that six and 170 or whatever that demand is, whatever that ask is, has less. Well, I'll just use the word leverage again. He has less leverage. Like he, they agents have to be really careful what they float out there. And I just think a guy like a Matt Chapman or a guy like a Marcus Stroman on the pitching market might just want to be aggressive and just get the best deal he can the first couple of weeks of, of free agency, you know, unless nothing materializes. Like I, I would imagine somebody 31, 32 years old, still gonna get four or five year offers. I'm not sure if Stroman gets five years at, at 32, 33. But I think Chapman's going to. I don't know. What do you think about that theory? I just think there, there are guys out there on the market that just make a lot of sense to, to just be aggressive on their part. Find a team that's willing to give them what they think they're worth and not necessarily shoot for the moon. Uh, otherwise, they might wake up on Christmas Day without a chair to sit in and the, the, the music stops and they're taking a one-year deal and you know, or something below what they thought their market was, significantly below what they thought their market was. And and kind of lose the the the, the off season for themselves. I, I, this is a Scott Boris move. This this really reeks of of a potential Scott Boris situation where he overplays his hand. I don't know. First guy off the board for me. I think it should be Matt Chapman. That that's the guy that I think should be first off the board from the major free agents, Joe. Actually, the the guy I think that it should be is a guy we've already talked about. I think it should be Blake Snell. I, I just look at the depth of this free agent class in terms of starting pitching. There are so many threes and fours to be had for 16 to $20 million that I think if Blake Snell is positioning himself right now for a seven year, $160 million deal or a six year, $152 million deal, if that's the deal that he wants, I think as teams start spending their money on free, free, free agent pitching and, and you know, there's 12 to 15 names on this free agent block that that can get some good change. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, Blake Snell is the guy that could end up with the four-year, you know, $82 million deal. I, I think he could lose out on $50, $60 million if he waits too long. The other guy yeah. is, um, is Jock Peterson. Uh, the reason I say Jock is he's been a free agent quite a few times uh, the last couple of years, the last few years. He's on the market a lot, yeah. and I think it's diminishing skills. Um, I think he wasn't aided by the elimination of the shift. Like I think a lot of people thought he might like maybe like how Jared Kelnick benefited from that. Max Uh, Kepler. Yeah. Max Kepler. I mean, a lot of these lefty slurred Joey Gallo to a lesser extent. Um, I think if, if Jock Peterson is in the camp of, I want one year, 14 million bucks, he could be the type of guy that is left sitting with a, well, we'll give you one year, seven mil, one year, eight mil. So, yeah, though I think those types are are especially susceptible. It's a really good point because he's a one trick pony. 
There's no defensive value there anymore. There's no base running value there anymore. And he's struggled against lefties the last couple of years, uh, particularly in 2023. And, you know, he's not a spring chicken anymore. He's, uh, I think he's going to be 32 very early in the, uh, uh, in the 2024 season. And he's been dinged up and, and loss of athleticism. Um, yeah, he's kind of a one trick pony. We talked about, uh, we've talked about Michael Taylor, uh, on this show before. Um, he's, at the plate, he's a one-trick pony. You don't want him facing right-handed pitching. But at least you could put him in the field, and he's still really good. Jock Peterson doesn't have that. It's a really good point. Guys like that can really kind of pigeonhole themselves and paint themselves in a corner if they hold out too long. Uh, Matt Chapman, Blake Snell, and maybe a guy like Jock Peterson. Yeah, I could certainly say that. You're right. He is kind of king free agent. Like He's a basically a free agent every year, like the last four yeah. years, it seems. Uh, there's a lot of those guys, too, like like – Eduardo Rodriguez, it's it's a little he's a little bit of a risky free agent from his own point of view because he wants to stay east. He wants to stay eastern time zone and he prefers the northeast, Detroit, Philadelphia, um, you know, New York, Boston, you know, places like that. There's only so many of those. So his market's kind of small. So somebody like that uh could run into this kind of a situation too. I'm gonna be really interested, Joe, uh, to see what Sean Manaya gets on the market. That's my uh, that's like my ultimate value kind of mid rotation starter uh kind of heat check. I'm really interested to see when he signs and what he actually gets and that could be a guy who goes out and gets 3 and 45 and the rest of the guys in that in that market, Mike Clevenger, um Lucas Giolito, uh you know Alex Wood even down at the back end you know, when you're talking about back end types, even Marcus Stroman can get thrown in there. He's more of a 3 than anything. Um It'd be interesting to see who sets that market because there's different tiers. Like we think, we think Eduardo Rodriguez is getting like four to five years at twenty million per. We think Blake Snell has a chance to get six and one fifty or whatever. We think Jordan Montgomery is getting five or six years at twenty million per. We think, uh, uh, who am I missing here? There's uh, Aaron Nola. We think Aaron Nola is getting at least five years, maybe six or seven at twenty twenty five million per. But who sets the market? And it's a different tier when you drop down and start talking about mid-rotation types, the, the back-end guys, and even guys that are more swing types. You mentioned Jacob Junis earlier. It's a really interesting name. Michael Lorenzen is getting a lot of attention already. 32 years old, transitioned to the, to the rotation. I don't really see it, to be honest with you. I had to be talked into ranking him in my top 50, and I bought it because of who was telling it to me. But that's a, that's a tough one to see. Uh, do you have a... Other than again, other than Otani, uh, before we get out of here, do you have a this guy's probably signing with this team free agent when you think about like the top 20 or so? Somebody prominent, somebody significant, you know, like like Marcus Stroman's going here, or uh, you know, or Eduardo Rodriguez is going here, or Sonny Gray is going here. Do you have one of those where you're just like, I, if I'm wagering in Vegas, this is kind of the, the the guy I think I can predict is going here from a free agency standpoint. I'll use proximity bias just because I've talked to some people that seem to be a little bit more in the know than I am. I think Lourdes Gurriel Jr. to Seattle is is going to get some pretty heavy legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he checks a lot of boxes for that organization. Yeah. But um, the other one that I just keep hearing over and over and over, and I I'm not hearing this inside of the industry. I'm just reading this is Josh Hader to the to the Rangers, mm-hmm. um, which seems to be a really good fit, and they had, they seem to have a an open pocketbook but honestly no man like this is um this is one of the first free agency periods where one it's it's a little underwhelming but two there's just not a lot of teams connected to a lot of players um and it seems like the trade market is more active in in industry conversations than the actual free agent pool itself so um yeah i don't know man yeah it's gonna be fun we haven't seen i mean nothing significant has uh, has happened yet but when it does uh, sometimes it's kind of a domino effect. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that works out. And we will talk about it on this show. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Joe Doyle host the overslot MLB draft podcast, find his written work at futurestarseries.com. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Doyle, M I L B, uh, fun stuff there. Casey Bellin, Casey, you're, you're having a little fun with this. Uh, uh now Casey lives in Oregon. Okay, now we've teased Casey on on this podcast about his Oregon Duck fandom um, because it's fun to tease the Ducks. Win or lose, it's a great it's a great program. Win or lose, 
it's fun to tease the ducks. But Casey's got a new newsletter, uh, Mariner's Wheelhouse. Um, so check that out. Casey, again, throw me the URL for people to find that, by the way. So if there are any Mariners fans, and I imagine you're going to do some MLB-wide stuff here and there, but throw me the URL of that uh, uh, of that newsletter on Substack. Yeah, it's just Casey Bellin, C-A-S-E-Y-B-E-L-L-O-N.substack.com. Cool. That's Mariners Wheelhouse. Uh, Substack is pretty great. Been having fun. Mariners After Midnight uh, is my newsletter there. Joe, you're, you're you're getting left behind with not having a newsletter here, bro. Like, <laughs> but you can find you can find all of Joe's stuff at futurestarsseries.com. Uh, there are gonna be lots of trades this winter. So you're gonna see Joe's name penned next to a lot of analysis there. Uh, that's gonna be a lot of fun. Can't wait for this to get going, uh, gentlemen. Uh, we will uh, we'll do this again next week, and hopefully, hopefully. We don't have a 20-minute powwow before we hit the record button. Before we say, "Hey, Casey, hit it," or we're like, "What do you want to like? What like? What do you want to talk about?" Because nothing is happening right now. The hot stove is uh, freezing. But uh, we'll talk next week. That's all our time. Uh, this has been the FSS Plus podcast. Peace. So just chill to the next episode.